We're really glad that you are here this morning, and if you are watching there, thank you for being there as well. And I'll tell you, we'd love to hear from you. So if you just let us know uh, who you are, where you're watching from, and if there are some, if there's anything going on that we can pray for you, we would love to uh, to do that. So please let us know. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. And if this is your first time here, or your first time there, uh, for that matter, for the last few weeks, Adam mentioned that we have been talking about, we've been in this series called More Than a Hashtag. And uh, if you've missed any of those, please, please go to our website. You can check out the messages there. Uh, we've been looking at a passage from the Old Testament prophet Micah. That interestingly enough, while you may not even know who he is, may never have heard of him, it's possible you've seen the words that we're talking about. Uh, maybe you've read those words, maybe someone has said them to you, but this passage uh, we're using, uh, that you've heard, it may be familiar with, we've been using it and are using it to propel us into 2020 uh, in a great way. So these are the verses of the verse right here, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly uh, with him. And, uh, and this passage has been used in our culture to highlight the importance of social justice and our need to make our voices heard, to act, to act in a just way, to be merciful in our actions. And that's just what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. What does that look like in day-to-day -day life uh, as, as we live it out? But before we get too far... For those who are new this morning, uh, and let's get our bearings on when we are and why we are. Micah says uh, why, why we are, how we apply this, what Micah says in our day. But Micah lived about 700 years before Jesus did, uh, about the same time as the prophet Isaiah. And, uh, and here's something you might not know. Micah is what we call a minor prophet. I've never mentioned that before. And I thought, you know, I need to make sure that you know that. Uh, I've said that Micah lived about the same time as Isaiah, just mentioned that. And I don't know if you've heard of Isaiah or not. Isaiah is what we call a major prophet. In the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, there are 16 prophets whose messages that we have. Four of them we call major prophets. Twelve of them we call minor prophets like Micah, major prophets like Isaiah, do you know what determines the difference between a minor prophet and a major prophet? Does anybody know what the difference is between a minor prophet and a major prophet? It's the length of the book. First time I heard that, I thought, am I being punked? Is this some sort of, you know, uh, biblical show, which would, you know, never have flown. But, uh, but I thought, Miss, certainly there's some spiritual reason for that. Length of beard, height, I don't know. Something, you know, more than the length of the book. And I just want to say this too. My, major and minor has nothing to do with the importance of what they're talking about. Micah is a minor prophet who is bringing a major teaching. And here's the why. Israel had been warned by Isaiah and by Micah about sinning against God. They have been going about their lives in a way that was not pleasing to God. And Isaiah uh, and Micah were saying, listen, God is about to remove his... If you do not change the way you live, God is going to remove his hand of protection from Israel. And you will be punished. Assyria will come in, Babylon will come in, and they will punish the Israelites. They will be the hand of God's punishment. And the people hear what they're saying, and they respond just not in the way God had hoped that they would. 
And if you've been here every week, you've already seen these verses, but let's look at them one more time, just remind ourselves, because when, when they give them these messages, the people respond, well, with what shall I come before the Lord? How shall I bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my uh, soul? And, and I will tell you, boy, it sounds so eloquent and so poetic and so pretty. And it was very common for Jewish people in those days to make elaborate sacrifices and offerings to God at the temple. And it all sounds good, but really what the people are asking is, what do we, what do, we do to appease this God? How, how, how do we get him to just kind of settle down? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just need him to settle down for a moment, and, uh, which is when our verse comes into play. Because Micah says, in answer to their question, what should we do? How do we respond? What kind of offering do we bring? Micah says, he's already told you what he expects of you. I'm not sure that he said it as kindly as we say it today. He's already told you this. He wants you to act justly. He wants you to love mercy. You're not doing these things. He doesn't care about your sacrifices. He wants people who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. So to re reinforce for us today, God isn't looking for people who merely talk a good faith or sing a good faith or pray a good faith. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying those are all good. He just calls us to more than that. And so I'm not saying that our words don't matter. Check out the blanks on your notes. If you've already been here before several times this month, what word goes in that blank, right? My hashtags matter because my words matter. I just want to make sure you get that. Please, please get the impact of that. If there's anything we need to be reminded of, it's how powerful our words are. And Proverbs remind us, you've seen this every week if you've been here, the tongue has the power of life and death. Life and death. Life and death, and you know that, because in your life, and I, listen, this has got to be everybody, you've had life spoken into you. You were having one of those days. It just couldn't get any worse, and someone said something to you, and man, it just, it lifted you up. It gave you life. You've also had people speak into you, and it crushed you. The tongue has the power of life and death. And you know that from experience. And by the way, from a social media vantage, I joined our Miamisburg neighborhood chat. No holds barred. Have you been part of that? Really something. I wanted to know what's going on in our world according to Facebook. And if you don't know, I just need you to know that the ice cream machine at McDonald's, it's a pretty big deal in our community. Uh, we evidently love our ice cream and are very disappointed when we can't get it. And so I just want to make sure, you know, your words do matter. In this room, can I say especially, and I mentioned this the first week, so I'll just say it again before we get out of this series, this is an election year. And, and your politics are your politics. I'm not going to share mine. I'm just going to say, regardless, you're a child of the kingdom. How you speak to other people matters. How you speak about other people matters. Because we identify as children of God. And so when we, what we say, what we put out there on social media, how we react to other people, it all reflects back on the kingdom of God because when God's people speak, the world listens to us and reflects that back on the kingdom. 
and makes assumptions about who Jesus is and who God is. And so we have to be careful about our words. And for anyone who's here for the first time, again, I'm not saying we can only post Jesus quotes. This is usually where I get to slip something into the message uh, that I don't always get to, kind of a timely picture like this one, right? If Aaron Rodgers had all state instead of State Farm, he'd be protected from mayhem like this. <laughs> Nick Bosa. All right. Uh, little pre-Super Bowl humor there. Uh, very timely. Listen, just so you know, I, and when I'm on Facebook, usually it's in, in the evening. I'm, I'm usually, I'm lying in bed, scrolling through, looking for funny pictures or funny videos, usually of animals, probably a cat, uh, and, uh, or people getting hurt. So uh, uh, all of that, <laughs> yeah, pray for me. Um, but we've also talked about with social media, sometimes as Jesus followers, we see something going on in our society, in our culture, and we want something to happen. And so we post about that. We put something out there and we feel great about that. And we should, we've just highlighted something that's going on that shouldn't be, or something that should be, that should be going on. And we just make some big deal about it. But what I'm saying is that's not enough. All right. He calls us, we are called not to love with words, but to love in actions. And so for the last time, I just want to say this one more time, my words are important. They're just not enough because God calls his people to do something. And what God is calling his people to do in the passage that we've been looking at, he's been calling us to act justly. He's been calling us to love mercy. And today we're going to find out how we pull that off. We pull that off when we walk humbly with God. So on your notes, you're going to see this. The response of a godly heart is outward to do justice, is inward to love mercy, and is upward to walk humbly with God. And this is so important to God that we get reminded of this over and over again in Scripture. Look at Psalm 25, 9. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his ways. Isaiah 66, the prophet reminds us, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And it's, all, it's not just Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Paul writes about this as well uh, in Ephesians. He writes to the church, as a prisoner for the Lord, look at what he says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And the very first thing he talks about, when I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, the very first thing is be completely humble. When Peter talks about this at the end of the New Testament, all of you clothe, talking to the church, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. When Jesus talks about this, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And someone has got to be saying, wow, did this guy just derail? What does that have to do with humility? Uh, in, in the Greek language, there are two words, right? In the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, uh, there are two words for poor. The first one is penes. And penes uh, means a person who has to work for their living. Someone who's not rich, but they're not destitute either. They have enough. They just don't have any extra. That is not the word. Jesus used. The other Greek word is ptochos, and it means absolute and object, abject poverty. It has been said that a man who has penes has nothing extra, but that a man who has ptochos has nothing at all. So literally, this beatitude would read, oh, the blessedness of the man who is completely poverty-stricken in spirit, absolutely destitute in spirit. The idea behind what Jesus was saying, what his listeners in the first century would have just understood 
from what he was saying that maybe we would miss is humble in spirit. So literally, you can read this verse, oh, the blessedness of the man who is humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why in the world? Uh, this, is the big, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Jesus is about to tell them all the Beatitudes, and the very first Beatitude Jesus attaches or attacks, the one he goes after first is the attitude of humility. Why does he do that? It's because without humility, you cannot live the life of discipleship that he calls us to. And the reason this is so important is that the key to doing what God requires of us is to walk humbly with him because it's a description of my heart's attitude toward God. Humility is the attitude of my heart toward God. David Henderson on your notes, he said this, pride is amnesia of the soul. It's forgetting God. Pride is acting whether we openly deny him or merely ignore him as if we have no need of God. It's not merely an inflated ego. It's an inflated soul. It is arrogance toward God. And if I can, I just want to emphasize two phrases in this last passage that we're looking at. And the first is with God. So I walk humbly with God when I remember who God is. It is easier to walk humbly with him when we keep in mind exactly who it is we're walking with. I love it. Years ago, Bobby Kennedy was the Attorney General of the United States. He spoke to a group of young lawyers entering into the Justice Department, and he said, I want you to remember, I was once a lowly Justice Department worker, but I became Attorney General of the United States of America due to hard work, perseverance, long hours, and the fact that my brother is the President of the United States of America. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. And I've shared this before, that one year in my Bible reading, and I've done this in subsequent years as well, but I focused specifically that year on what does the Bible say about who God is? Who does God say that he is? What are people in the Bible saying about who God is? And what's interesting to me is when I notice that you're highlighting, so on the version app, if we're friends, I can see what you're highlighting. By the way, I invite you to yeah, onto the version, and, and I would love to be your friend there, and you'll get to see what I'm reading, I'll see what you're reading, I can see what you're highlighting. And this week, I just thought it was interesting. I noticed that Veronica Booker uh, highlighted a verse out of Job about who God is. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They're deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. I noticed that Casey Poor highlighted Job chapter 9 without warning that's talking about God. God moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. That's how powerful God is. The one who asks you to walk humbly before him. I love Psalm 89. It's one of my favorite passages about who God is. Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? So picture all of heaven and all of the beings that are there. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? And I've said this before. I just want to make sure you get it. God has this high opinion of himself, and he wants you to have it as well. Back when I was growing up, back in the 70s, Muhammad Ali was the heavyweight champion of the world, and he was forever reminding audiences, I am the greatest, I am the greatest. And when, uh, when he was on it, one time he was on an airplane, he was traveling, uh, they were preparing for takeoff, and the flight attendant noticed he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. So she reminded him, please buckle your seatbelt. 
to which Ali very arrogantly said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle your seatbelt, right? <laughs> Listen, do you know why God calls his people to be mindful of walking humbly with him? It's because of how dangerous pride is. And maybe you're thinking, I would never be that arrogant, which, by the way, isn't the point at all. The point isn't merely not thinking about yourself too highly. It's about not thinking of God highly enough. It's not that you don't think enough of yourself. It's that you don't think of God highly enough. And here's the warning, and it's on your notes. Please write this down. Pride is generally invisible to those in its grip. You don't even know it when it's got you. In an article in Discipleship Journal, David Henderson suggested ways to recognize pride in our lives. Notice how subtle some of these are. A spotty prayer life, because I'm not actively relying on God. I'm unaware of my need for Him today. I, it's, 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 you know, it's nice that He joins me on my journey, but I'm unaware, blissfully unaware of my need for Him. Weariness is often the result of trying to do more than God intends, which means I'm not letting Him order my day. I'm taking charge. I'm not letting Him take charge. Anger can mean I'm not trusting God's sovereign time and planning. I'm trying to force the plan, put him on my calendar. A critical spirit is the act of bringing others down to inflate ourselves, make ourselves look better, which means we're trying to make ourselves look good rather than make God look good or show other people how good he is. How you respond to criticism, criticism. how you respond. How do you respond to criticism? What does that say about who you are and how you see yourself? Listen, especially if we see any of those in ourselves, very practically, what do we do about that? You know, here's the thing. God has built this into who we are. It's the basics of our faith. It's what I told you at the very beginning of the year, first week. These are the four things that we're really going to help you with this year. Here's the first one. I walk humbly with God when I walk with God. Walking humbly with him requires that I walk with him. And I just want to explain why I'm highlighting, highlighting that. Back in the 60s, a Japanese theologian, Kosuke Koyama, wrote a book, Three Mile an Hour God. And he noticed that the average speed that human beings walk is three miles an hour. So when Jesus put on flesh and walked the earth, he walked at three miles an hour. He, he wrote, God, who is love, walks at three miles an hour. Koyama said... Love has a speed, and that speed is slow. So walking with God implies that you're going to slow down to do it. Do you know how to walk with God? Walking will include, and maybe, by the way, if you're not doing this, this, this isn't might be your next step. This is your next step. <laughs> if you're not doing what, what I'm about to say, it, it, this is your next step. Walking will include slowing down to read and reflect on what he says to me every day, every day, slowing down to uh, read and reflect. Psalm 86 says this, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Jason uh, Beaver, our student pastor, was sharing with us a recent survey from the Center of Bible Engagement. They polled 40,000 people from the general population, so not just church people, general population of people ages 8 to 80. What they wanted to find out was how does how we engage with Scripture how does it affect key areas of our lives? And I'll explain key areas here in just a little bit. But uh, what, they th what, what they discovered, the main finding of their research, wasn't even anything they were looking for. They just stumbled upon it. But here's what they found. 
The survey revealed that when we were in the Bible one day a week, and by the way, for some of us here this week, if that's you, it could be right now. You've got the Bible app open, you've got your Bible open, you're looking at the verses on the page, and so this is your one day a week, uh, right? And so when we engage the Bible one day a week, it has a negligible effect on the key areas of our lives, basically none. When we engage the Bible two days a week, it has a negligible effect on the key areas of our lives, basically none. If we impact the Bible three day, or engage the Bible three days a week, there's a blip, so kind of a heartbeat. Uh, what they found, some, you can tell that something has happened, but it's not very much, uh, uh, but, but something has happened, kind of a little bit of a heartbeat. Here's the profound discovery they made. Weren't looking for it, but this is what they found. If you are in the scripture four times a week, the impact on your life spikes off the chart. I mean, it just, it just goes flying off. What they thought they would find, and maybe what you would think they would find, what I thought they would find is if you do it one day, you get a little bit, two days, a little bit more, three days, a little bit. The more you engage it, the more impact it has. But what they found is if it's just up to three days a week, basically nothing is changing in your life. But on the fourth day, it went from flatline to off the charts. And what they found was when we engage Scripture at least four times a week, that our feeling lonely drops 35%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships, including your spouse and your children, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 64%. Start, uh, sharing your faith jumps 200%, probably because we're a little more comfortable sharing what we've been reading Discipling others jumps 230%. That's the impact that engaging the Bible regularly uh, uh, up to four, if you engage it at least four times a week, that's what's going to happen in your life. And so we want to see how we're doing with that. We said we were going to encourage you and equip you. And part of what we want to do is measure how we're doing. So I've included in the notes this morning, it's on your, if you're in the Bible app, it's right there. You can click the link. And take a survey. I think it's five questions. I took it last night. I should have been counting. Uh, but it took me literally less than a minute to do this. You just answer those five questions, bing, 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 and, and you're off to the races, and you just send that in. But also, you can, uh, if you're not on the Bible app, if you want to, you can text survey to that phone number, and it will send you a link to this uh, survey. If you are here this morning, please, please, we're not, listen, we're not putting this on Facebook because we care about other people, but what we're trying to measure is us. We don't, we don't need other people's measurements. We want only who we are. So for the next few weeks, we're going to make this available for the next three weeks, maybe four weeks, on, but we want it only us. So if you can answer that survey, you can do that you know, right now. If that'll keep you from drifting off to sleep, that'd be great. Um, but do that survey. If you do it before you leave here today, that would be wonderful. It also will ask about this next one. Walking will include, and maybe this is your next step, because if you're not doing this, this is your next step, slowing down to spend time in prayer. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Talk to God. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done. That's when you will experience this peace that is beyond understanding. It's not before that. People expect to get this peace before. It happens when you do these things. 
And so talk to God about what you need. Thank him for what he's already provided for you. And for those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, can I just say following includes, following implies, let me get right to it, following demands. If you're going to follow him, it means you're going to walk with him. And there are others of us who have never made that commitment. And it's important for you to know that this is what God created us for. He created us to walk with us. If you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, you read that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. But somewhere along the line, something happened. And we know that in Genesis, right, Adam and Eve ate from this tree that God told them not to, and it created this separation. They stopped walking with God because in Genesis 3, we find out that when God came down for their walk, they were hiding from him, right? And, 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 but here's the thing that I know. My problem with God isn't that Adam and Eve sinned. My problem with God is that I sin. Your problem with Adam and Eve isn't that that, that Adam and Eve, or your problem with God isn't that Adam and Eve sin, it's that you sin, right? And, and, and our sin causes us to stop walking with him, just like Adam and Eve, and we try to hide. We at least try to hide what we did as if God doesn't already know what we've been up to. And sometimes what we do is we try to fix this by doing things. We try to be good enough so that we're not so bad that God stays away from us and it gets frustrating because we know we can't be good enough. And if we don't fix this separation during this lifetime, what we know is that the Bible says that when this follows us into eternity after we leave this life, this separation is called hell. It is the absence of God from his people. It's the absence of his love and the absence of his grace. The good news of our faith is that 2,000 years ago, God didn't just hashtag love you, right? He didn't slap a bumper sticker on the back of his cloud that says, honk if you love people, right? That's not what he did. He actually sent Jesus to take care of our sin problem on the cross, which acts as a bridge to allow us to bring our relationship. It's God extending this relationship back to us, and there's only three steps. The Bible talks about three steps for us to get from one side to the other. And by the way, can you go back to that last slide just for a moment? Everyone in this room is on one side or the other. All of us. All of us at one time were over here. Some of us have made the, the trip, but there's still others of us who have not. And the, so the three things the Bible talks about uh, are the steps that we need to take. One is we need to believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died for your sins on the cross, not because of something wrong he had done, but he died for your sins. Three days later he rose, and now he is in heaven with his Father. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, John 3 says that God loves you so much that he gave Jesus so that if you will believe in him, you will not perish if you trust him with that. The second step that, that uh, the Bible talks about is repenting. And repenting just is a, it's a Bible word that means turn around, do a 180. You're heading in the wrong direction, so change direction, which is why in Acts 3, 3 we read, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and there will be times of refreshing from God, which leads to the third step the Bible talks about, which is baptism, which is where we make this commitment of our life, our promise back to God, which is why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's talking to the crowd of people, and they say, what do we need to do? 
He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's not, if this is something you've never done, we'd love to help you take this step. A week ago, Thursday, Dave came over and was baptized. Last Sunday, Owen was baptized. This past Wednesday, Kaylin was baptized. And right now, out in our lobby, Jensen is ready to make that decision. Check out the screen. Jensen, I just want you to know that I am so proud of you, and I love you. Uh, just okay. please repeat after me. Okay. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. And I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. Jensen, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. So before services, I was walking around in the lobby, and there was this big group of people. I thought maybe it was a gang of some sort. And so I, I, I introduced myself. They're all of Jensen's family, aunts and uncles, grandparents, who came because that moment in his life is huge. And we're reminded uh, by Jesus in John chapter 1, we're reminded to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children. That song we sang earlier, I'm a child of God, yes I am. If you've believed him, if you've made that promise, he's given you the right to become a child of God. And so here's the thing, if you belong to him, walk with him like you belong to him. And if you've never given your life to him, please let us help you with that. If you have children who have been asking about this, or if you just want to have the conversation with them, Adam mentioned earlier a class that Michelle is going to teach in February on the 16th. Uh, it's for parents and children to come to. It's called Take the Plunge, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Please come be part of that. And if you would like to talk about this more, or if you're already, you already know, I, it's time. I need to do this. I'm ready to do this. And I'm going to be right up here after the service. I'll be right up front. I would love to talk to you. You know what God wants from his children. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with him. But just like the Israelites in Micah's day, you get to choose. If you're going to do more than just talk a good faith, sing a good faith, you can walk with God or you can just go to church. You get to choose what you want to do. And so here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And it's during this song, the song was chosen for you to be able to think through, now what does my next step need to be? You already see the impact that being in God's word has. You just saw what we found out. What's my next step? Am I going to take time to listen to his voice? Am I going to take time to speak with him and share my heart with him in prayer? Am I going to walk with him? Have I made the decision to make him Lord of my life? We want to help. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we do pray that you'll use the words of Micah as he spoke to the people in his day. And God, as you speak to us through them today, 
that we would walk with you, that we would choose to follow you if we have not, and if we have chosen, that we actually will walk with you. Following implies demands walking with. And so, Father, may we do that. Jesus, thank you for laying down such a <laughs> an easy example to follow, to watch and to see and to know what that means. And Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of us and prompting us, moving us that direction that we might live in a way that shows we belong to who you are. So as we sing, may they be more than words. May they be a prayer to you and a prayer for us to be people who walk with you. And we pray this, Jesus, through your powerful name. Amen.